Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read ACIMOE. Also at that website, there's an option to subscribe to have both to have an excellent daily email that includes both the text for the day as well as the lesson for the day sent to you from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of Chapter 15, The Purpose of Time, with Section 6, The Holy Instant and Special Relationships. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 170. There is no cruelty in God and none in me. And by way of opening this morning, oh, I'm so happy to come upon this little tiny piece from Moji in reflection of today's lesson. It goes like this. Don't be too quick to interpret the moment. Just keep quiet. My encouragement is never think anything is against you. Everything is a blessing. Why should it be different? Just be quiet. See how it works itself out. Everything is a blessing. There is no cruelty in God and none in me. Amen. Wow, I love that. That was great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I loved it too, Fran. I loved it too. I'm used I'm using that today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Good advice. Okay, my friends, here's our reading list. We have Fran, Lemoyne, Jessica, and Judy. We're joined in listening this morning so far by Harrison. And I don't think anyone else has joined us yet, so let's go ahead and get underway with Chapter 15, The Purpose of Time, with Section 6, The Holy Instant and Special Relationships. Paragraph 45. The Holy Instant is the Holy Spirit's most power. whoopsie, the Holy Instant is the Holy Spirit's most useful learning device for teaching you love's meaning, for its purpose is to suspend judgment entirely. Judgment always rests on the past, for past experience is the basis on which you judge. Judgment becomes impossible without the past, for witness, for without it you do not understand anything. You would make no attempt to judge because it would be quite apparent to you that you do not know what anything means. You are afraid of this because you believe that without the ego, all would be chaos. Yet I assure you that without the ego, all would be love. Fran. Chapter 15, The Purpose of Time. Section 6. The Holy Instant and Special Relationships, Paragraph 45. 
The holy instant is the Holy Spirit's most useful learning device for teaching you love's meaning. For its purpose is to suspend judgment entirely. Judgment always rests on the past. For past experience is the basis on which you judge. Judgment becomes impossible without the past, but without it you do not understand anything. You would make no attempt to judge because it would be quite apparent to you that you do not know what anything means. You are afraid of this because you believe that without the ego all would be chaos. Yet I assure you that without the ego all would be love. 46. The past is the ego's chief learning device. For it is in the past that you learn to define your own needs and acquired methods for meeting them on your own terms. We said before that to limit love to part of the sonship is to bring guilt into your relationships and thus make them unreal. If you seek to separate out certain aspects of the totality and look to them to meet your imagined needs, you are attempting to use separation to save you. How then could guilt not enter? For separation is the source of guilt, and to appeal to it for salvation is to believe you are alone. Be alone is to be guilty. For to experience yourself as alone is to deny the oneness of the Father and His Son and thus to attack reality. Thank you, Fran. And Lemoyne. The past is the ego's chief learning device, for it is in the past that you learn to define your own needs and acquired methods for meeting them on your own terms. We said before that to limit love to part of the sonship is to bring guilt into your relationships and thus make them unreal. If you seek to separate out certain aspects of the totality, and look to them to meet your imagined needs, you are attempting to use separation to save you. How then could guilt not enter? For separation is the source of guilt, and to appeal to it for salvation is to believe you are alone. To be alone is to be guilty. For to experience yourself as alone is to deny the oneness of the Father and His Son, and thus to attack reality. You cannot love parts of reality and understand what love means. If you would love unlike to God, who knows no special love, how can you understand it? To believe that special relationships with special love can offer you salvation is the belief that separation is salvation. For it is the complete equality of the atonement in which salvation lies. How can you decide that special aspects of the sonship can give you more than others? The past has taught you this, yet the holy instant teaches you it is not so. Thank you, Lemoyne and Jessica. 
Thanks, Lori. 47. You cannot love parts of reality and understand what love means. If you would love unlike to God, who knows no special love, how can you understand it? To believe that special relationships with special love can offer you salvation is the belief that separation is salvation. For it is the complete equality of the atonement in which salvation lies. How can you decide that special aspects of the sonship can give you more than others? The past has taught you this, yet the holy instant teaches you it is not so. 48. Because of guilt, all special relationships have some elements of fear in them, and this is why they shift and change so frequently. They are not based on changeless love alone, and love where fear has entered cannot be depended on because it is not perfect. In his function as interpreter of what you have made, the Holy Spirit uses special relationships which you have chosen to support, which you have chosen to support the ego as a learning experience which points to truth. Under his teaching, every relationship becomes a lesson in love. Thank you, Jessica and Judy. Thank you, Lori. Because of guilt, all special relationships have some elements of fear in them. And this is why they shift and change so frequently. They are not based on changeless love alone. And love, where fear has entered, cannot be dependent. Because it's perfect. And, um, excuse me, in his as interpreter of what you have, I'm sorry, my phone's interrupting me. And love where fear has entered not, cannot be depended on because it is not perfect. In his function as interpreter of what you have made, the Holy Spirit uses special relationships which you have chosen to support the ego as a learning experience which points to truth. Under his, capital his teaching, every relationship becomes a lesson in love. The Holy Spirit knows no one is special, yet he also perceives that you have made special relationships, which he would purify and not let you destroy. However unholy the reason why you made them may be, he can translate them into holiness by removing as much fear as you will let him. You can place any relationship under his care and be sure that it will not result in pain. 
if you offer him your willingness to have it serve no need but his. All the guilt in it arises from your use of it. All the love from his. Do not, then, be afraid to let go of your imagined needs, which would destroy the relationship. Only, or your only need is his. Thank you, Judy. And is there a new reader for 49 and 50? I can read now. Thank you, Harrison. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit knows no one is special. Yet, he also perceives that you have made special relationships which he would purify and not let you destroy. However unholy the reason why you made them may be, he can translate them into holiness by removing as much fear as you will let him. You can place any relationship under his care and be sure that it will not result in pain if you offer him your willingness to have it serve no need but his. All the guilt and it arises from your use of it. All the love from his. Do not then be afraid to let go your magic needs, which would destroy the relationship. Your only need is his. Any relationship which you would support would substitute for another has not been offered to the Holy Spirit for his use. There is no substitute for love. If you would attempt to substitute one aspect of love for another, you have placed less value on one and more on the other. You have not only separated them, but you have also judged against both. Yet, you have judged against yourself first, or you would never have imagined that you needed them as they were not 
unless you had seen yourself as without love, you could not have judged them so like you in lack. Thank you, Harrison. And would there be another new reader for 50 and 51? Lori, may I please read it? Oh, sure, Judy. This is particularly strong for me. Any relationship... Oops, thank you. Any relationship which I would substitute for another, has not been offered to the Holy Spirit for his use. There is no substitute for love. If I would attempt to substitute one aspect of love for another, I have placed less value on one and more on the other. I have not only separated them, but I have also judged against both, yet I had judged against myself first. This is what really gets me. Or I would never have imagined that I needed them as they were not, unless I had seen myself as without love, I could not have judged them so like me in lack. The ego's use of relationships is so fragmented that it frequently goes even further. One part of one aspect suits its purposes, while it prefers different parts of another aspect. (laughs) Thus does it assemble reality to its own capricious liking offering for your seeking a picture whose likeness does not exist. For there is nothing in heaven or earth that it resembles. And so, however much you seek for its reality, you cannot find it because it is not real. Wow. Thank you, Judy. And would there be a new reader for 51 and 52? Okay, back to you, Fran. 51. The ego's use of relationships is so fragmented that it frequently goes even further. One part of one aspect suits its purposes, while it prefers different parts of another aspect. Thus does it assemble reality to its own capricious liking, offering for your seeking a picture whose likeness does not exist. For there is nothing in heaven or earth, that it resembles. And so however much you seek for its reality, you cannot find it because it is not real. 52. Everyone on earth has formed special relationships. And although this is not so in heaven, the Holy Spirit knows how to bring a touch of heaven to them here. In the holy instant, no one is special, for your personal needs intrude on no one to make them different. Without the values from the past, 
you would see them all the same and like yourself. Nor would you see any separation between yourself and them. In the holy instant, you see in each relationship what it will be when you perceive only the present. Thank you, Fran. And Lemoyne. Everyone, <coughs> sorry. Everyone on the earth has formed special relationships. And although this is not so in heaven, the Holy Spirit knows how to bring a touch of heaven to them here. In the holy instant, no one is special, for your personal needs intrude on no one to make them different. Without the values from the past, you would see them all the same and like yourself. Nor would you see any separation between yourself and them. In the holy instant, you see in each relationship what it will be when you perceive only the present. I'll read that again. In the holy instant, you see in each relationship what it will be when you perceive only the present. God knows you now. He remembers nothing, having always known you exactly as he knows you now. <clears throat> the holy instant parallels his knowing by bringing all perception out of the past, thus removing the frame of reference you have built by which to judge your brother. Once this is gone, the Holy Spirit substitutes his frame of reference for it. His frame of reference is simply God. The Holy Spirit's timelessness lies only here. For in the holy instant, free of the past, you see that love is in you, and you have no need to look without and snatch it guiltily from where you thought it was. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Jessica. Thanks, Laurie. 53. God knows you now. He remembers nothing, having always known you exactly as he knows you now. The holy instant parallels his knowing by bringing all perception out of the past, thus removing the frame of reference you have built by which to judge your brothers. Once this is gone, the Holy Spirit substitutes his frame of reference for it. His frame of reference is simply God. The Holy Spirit's timelessness lies only here, for in the holy instant, free of the past, you see that love is in you, and you have no need to look without and snatch it guiltily from where you thought it was. 
all your oh 54 all your relationships are blessed in the holy instant because the blessing is not limited in the holy instant the sonship gains as one and united in your blessing it becomes one with you one to you the meaning of love is the meaning god gave to it give to it any meaning apart from his and it is impossible to understand it every brother god loves as he loves you wait a minute every brother god loves as he loves you neither less nor more he needs them all equally and so do you in time you have been told to offer miracles as god directs and let the holy spirit bring to you those who are seeking you yet in the holy instant you unite directly with god and all your brothers join in christ those who are joined in christ are in no way separate for Christ is the self the sonship shares as God shares his self with Christ. Thank you, Jessica and Judy. Oh. All your relationships are blessed in the holy instant. Because the blessing is not limited. In the holy instant, the sun gains as one. The sonship gains as one. And united in your blessing, it becomes one to you. The meaning of love is the meaning God gave to it. Give it or give to it any meaning apart from his, and it is impossible to understand it. Every brother, God loves as he loves you, neither less nor more. He needs them all equally, and so do you. In time, you have been told to offer miracles as Christ directs, and let the Holy Spirit bring to you those who are seeking you. Yet in the holy instant, you unite directly with God, and all your brothers join in Christ. Those who are joined in Christ are in no way separate, for Christ is the self the sonship shares. As God shares his self with Christ. Think you that you can judge the self of God. God has created it beyond your judgment out of his need to extend his love. With loving you, you have no need except to extend it. In the holy instant, there is no conflict of needs. 
For there is only one. In the holy instant, there is no conflict of needs, for there is only one. For the holy instant reaches to eternity, to the mind of God, and it is only there love has meaning, and only can it be understood. Thank you, Judy. And would there be a new reader for 55 and 56? I can read again, Lori. I beg your pardon, Harrison. I forgot to write you there. Thank you. That's okay. Thank Excuse me. <laughs> Think you that you can judge the self of God? God has created it beyond judgment. Out of his need to extend his love. With love in you, You have no need except to extend it. In the holy instant, there is no conflict of needs, for there is only one. For the holy instant reaches to eternity, and to the mind of God, and is only there love has meaning, and only there can it be understood. Fifty-six. It is impossible to use one relationship at the expense of another and not suffer guilt. And it is equally impossible to condemn part of a relationship and find peace within. Under the Holy Spirit's teaching, all relationships are seen as total commitments, yet they do not conflict with one another in any way. Perfect faith in each one for its ability to satisfy you completely arises only from perfect faith in yourself. And this you cannot have while guilt remains. And there will be guilt as long 
as you accept the possibility and cherish it that you can make a brother what he is not because you would have him so. Thank you, Harrison. And would there be a new reader now for 56 and 57? Okay, Fran, back to you. Oh, did I hear something? 56. Okay. Go ahead. That's 56. It is impossible to use one relationship at the expense of another and not suffer guilt. And it is equally impossible to condemn part of a relationship and find peace within it. Under the Holy Spirit's teaching, all relationships are seen as total commitments, yet they do not conflict with one another in any way. Perfect faith in each one for its ability to satisfy you completely arises only from perfect faith in yourself. And this you cannot have while guilt remains. And there will be guilt as long as you accept the possibility and cherish it that you can make a brother what he is not because you would have him so. 57. You have so little faith in yourself because you are unwilling to accept the fact that perfect love is in you. And so you seek without but what you cannot find without. I offer you my perfect faith in you in place of all your doubt. But forget not that my faith must be as perfect in all your brothers as it is in you, or it would be limited gift to you. In the holy instant, we share our faith in God's Son because we recognize together that he is wholly worthy of it. And in our appreciation of his work, we cannot doubt his holiness. And so we love him. Amen. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Fran. Uh, and Lemoyne. You have so little faith in yourself because you are unwilling to accept the fact that perfect love is in you. And so you seek without for what you cannot find without. I offer you my perfect faith in you in place of all your doubt. But forget not that my faith must be as perfect in all your brothers and sisters as it is in you, or it would be a limited gift to you. In the holy instant, we share our faith in God's Son because we recognize together that he is wholly worthy of it. And in our appreciation of his worth, we cannot doubt his holiness. And so we love him. Thank you, Lemoyne, and thank you, everyone who read this morning. Um, boy, to try and to try and summarize this, I don't think is possible. So um, I think what I'll do instead is to um, 
to offer a background thought for consideration in this section. And that is that um, he, he has a whole chapter, actually, chapter 24, that addresses specialness and separation. But he, in chapter 24, for the sake of our understanding, he describes specialness as a defense of a senseless dream. Defense of a senseless dream. And everything I do in relation to defending a senseless dream will hurt me. So with that as a background, um, I think we're set up perfectly uh, for our lesson today. There is no cruelty in God and none in me. And Fran, we'll look to you for guidance again as we reflect on this lesson this morning. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Hi, everybody. Still in the first part of the workbook, and today we're on Lesson 170. There's no cruelty in God and none in me. So I shall read some from the lesson, and then we'll do our five-minute practice on the lesson. There's no cruelty in God and none in me. No one attacks without intent to hurt. This can have no exception. When you think that you attack in self-defense, you mean that to be cruel is protection. You're safe because of cruelty. You mean that you believe to hurt another brings you freedom. How thoroughly insane is the idea that to defend from fear is to attack. Today, we learn a lesson which can save you more delay and needless misery than you can possibly imagine. It is this. You make what you defend against, and by your own defense against it, is it real and inescapable. Lay down your arms, and only then do you perceive it false. It seems to be the enemy without that you attack, yet your defense sets up an enemy within. If you consider carefully the means by which your fancied self-defense proceeds on its imagined way, you will perceive the premises on which the idea stands. First, it is obvious ideas must leave their source. Next, are the attributes of love bestowed upon its quote-unquote enemy. For fear becomes your safety and protector of your peace. With love as enemy, must cruelty become a god, and gods demand that those who worship them obey their dictates and refuse to question them. Today, we look upon this cruel god dispassionately. He is but made of stone. We can do nothing. We need not defy his power. He has none. This moment can be terrible, but it also can be the time of your release from adjust slavery. Yet do not think that fear is the escape from fear. Let us remember what the Course has stressed about the obstacles to peace. The final one, the hardest to believe, is nothing and a seeming obstacle with the appearance of a solid block, fearful and beyond surmounting, is the fear of God himself. Here is the basic premise which enthrones the thought of fear as God. 
For fear is loved by those who worship it, and love appears to be invested now with cruelty. The choice you make today is certain. For you look for the last time upon this bit of carbon stone you have called a God no longer. Now do your eyes belong to Christ, and he looks through them. Now your voice belongs to God and echoes his, and now your heart remains at peace forever. You have chosen him in place of idols, and your attributes given by your creator are restored to you at last. The call of God is heard and answered. Now his fear, now has fear made way for love, and God himself replaces cruelty. And now at the end of this lesson, he has a prayer. And I'm going to read this prayer for you. Father, we are like you. No cruelty abides in us, for there is none in you. Your peace is ours, and we bless the world with what we have received from you alone. We choose again and make our choice for all our brothers, knowing they are one with us. We bring them your salvation as we have received it now, and we give thanks to them who rendered us complete. In them we see your glory, and in them we find our peace. Holy are we because your holiness has set us free, and we give thanks. Amen. Now we'll do our five-minute practice. Lesson 170. There is no cruelty in God and none in me.
Today we learn a lesson which can save you more delay and needless misery than you can possibly imagine. Lesson 170. There is no cruelty in God and none in me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fran. Uh, Fran, I know you have to leave a bit early today, so I'd like to give you an opportunity to share what this lesson said to you this morning before you do, if you like, or not. It's just... um It's just, it's what I've thought that I've, you know, as even before we started studying the course, the truth would come to us. Uh, I don't know if we acknowledged it as the truth or whatever, but um, this is one of the truths that came to me even before the course. There was no cruelty in God and none in me. That was a perfect lesson. Thank you, Laurie. I'm complete. Thank you, my dear. Thank you very much. And thank you for leading us every day. So grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Thinking about thinking. <laughs> this um, lesson, it seems obvious to state something like, there's no cruelty in me that I wouldn't be cruel. Um, you know, it seems so natural and easy to say. But the ways that we we think that are cruel to ourselves and cruel to each other um, can be so sublime and subtle sometimes it's become apparent to me and I shared this on the um, the um, lessons conference call earlier Reverend Pam's calling and in noticing how I use this lesson there's no cruelty in God so there's no cruelty in me you know um, how I experience sometimes um, quite acute and sharp um, pain in my hips and my legs when I'm walking and it comes and goes, but when it comes, I've often said that there is no cruelty in God. There's no pain in God, you know, and using the lessons. Um, if pain, pain is not real, pain does not exist, you know, using the lessons. But I've noticed from time to time when I've said um, there is no cruelty in God, when I was experiencing the pain, I was saying it, my ego was saying it like a curse, like, yeah, right, you know, I have this pain, and I don't believe it, there is cruelty, and this is cruel, and I'm feeling it, and um, so when I did the meditation this morning, <laughs> I 
it really came, became, I mean, it, it has been clear, but it's becoming more clear to see that. <coughs> and this goes hand in hand with the paragraph that I asked to read about the ego slicing and dicing up reality. Um, that an image of Judy, imagine she's in pain. Imagine she's suffering. Imagine that God is cruel. And this is what we made and the difference between what God created me to be is spirit, purely mind in the mind of God and thinking thoughts like God. So the, the reality of who I am and the unreality of Judy being a body um, and the way that the ego would substantiate itself in, in the hell of being in the body and being in the world, being in pain, being in suffering, being in how cruel the world can be and how we, we can make victims of each other and project guilt on one another. All of this um, is increasingly clear and not acceptability. Um, you know, we come to a, a deeper and a better understanding of it, you know, that there is, there is the the formless is in the form and and what exists and what doesn't exist and all that, but I really just want to keep it simple for myself to say that there truly is in the in the pure mind and heart of God no cruelty. And if I truly align and attune myself with the self as he created me to be, that I do not experience pain, even in this body. And this I know, and this I have experienced in, in relinquishing the, the small, artificial, imagined Judy, letting go of her memory of herself, completely and saying, I am the one with my source. I don't experience pain in the same way that I do when I'm thinking of myself as an image in a body. And this is a very subtle and um, very sublime practice to me. And it really takes um, an awareness in the holy instant, in the moment, because I can go for a long time imagining I'm a body in pain or I can I can cease and desist and in Jude's absence be happy, joyous and free. Oh God help us <laughs> Holy Spirit help me. Christ help me. My friends help me. Thank you all for being here together as one. I am complete. Thank you, Judy. I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Judy. This is Ida. Um, good to be here. Um, I do not. I really do not believe that God sees us as bodies because we made the bodies as a symbol of our imagined separation from each other and from God. <laughs> 
that's what the Course says. So, um, but there still can be psychic pain, which I'm defining at this point as emotional, mental, and spiritual pain. And it says somewhere in the Course that God know, you know, what God knows about us and what God doesn't know about us. Um, God knew that there was a problem, you know, in the first place, or the first and an infinitesimally short time when we had the tiny mad idea of separation. He created the Holy Spirit, and in that less than a heartbeat. Um, that but our problem was solved. But since we made time and space, it seems like it takes an interminable amount of time and an internal amount of space, which seems to be this cosmos, to um, get it and go back to the condition which we never actually left. So that's what I have to say about it right now. Thank you. I'm complete. Well, thank you, Ida. Yes, thank you, Ida. That there are different kinds of pains. Um, psychological and and emotional feeling, sensations, physical pain. Um, but the response, my responsibility for my own salvation, that it's only myself that I can hurt, only myself that I can crucify. You know, this is ground zero for me that I recognize that. Excuse me, because as I think of myself, I am. And if I think I'm a body, I'm going to perceive sensorily. And if I think of myself as mind, I'm going to think of myself, think of the world as a world of ideas. If I think of myself as God's mind, consciousness, awareness itself, I think of everything as me. And it's in only in the focusing and the and the contraction and the con- concentration. You know, I may not be much as Judy, but I'm all I ever think about. That's where I really get into that self-centered pain and cruelty that I'm doing this pain to myself. And it's like, you know, that doesn't seem right. If God isn't cruel, He wouldn't let me do this to myself. But the truth is, the Course speaks of this, that we have to accept responsibility for we make our own misery. And in that fact lies our freedom, that we are free from it as soon as we would choose otherwise. I don't have to be stuck in my self-centered misery, be it of any kind of pain. On whose behalf do these thoughts, do these feelings, do these sensations? Does this experience arise? I don't know. 
it's really asking me to grow up. <laughs> I'm complete. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. So, again, I think uh, there's a difference between pain and suffering. Many of the spiritual teachers say this. Um, So I think that maybe when Jesus was on the cross, he felt pain, right? But he wasn't suffering. He had handled himself for so long, so well, with regard to living by the truth of our being, that he knew in, through and through in his DNA the truth of who he was and the truth of what he was and what everybody was and what God is and what God was to him. Um, that he didn't have any untruth in his being to make him suffer. So that was a difference between, for instance, Jesus and me, who, you know, if, if, if my baby, my kitty cat, scratches me with little, from his little uh, claw, I feel pain. I don't know, you know. I might be suffering. I might go, oh, that hurts. Oh, you shouldn't have done that, you know. That kind of thing. Bad boy, you know, that kind of thing. But that's just maybe a silly example, but you know what I'm trying to say. Thank you. I'm complete. Thanks, Ida. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And um, I love this lesson today. <laughs> I love every lesson uh, because wasn't there a lesson that says all things are lessons God would have me learn? And this one in particular um, for me in, involved a lot of untangling. Uh, just like the ego mind seems to involve a lot of untangling. But I love that paragraph, paragraph three. You make what you defend against, and by your own defense against it, is it real and inescapable? Lay down your arms, and only then do you perceive it false. You make what you defend against. I've done that. I've done that lots of times by making a problem seem real. And then uh, by making that problem seem real, it seems as if I'm automatically propelled by something uh, to defend myself. And in my defense of myself, what am I uh, but an ego? Because only the ego needs a defense, right? The Son of God needs no defense. But the minute I make something I perceive in error to be the truth, I'm going to do exactly like he says in paragraph 4. Your defense sets up an enemy within, 
an alien thought at war with you, depriving you of your peace, splitting your mind into two camps which seem wholly irreconcilable. And um, this is why, this is why um, the discussion on special relationships is so important to me. Let's see if I can. It's difficult to talk about it in the abstract, uh, so I have to get I have to get real about this. Um, the purpose of time is uh, to me and always has been to translate that holy instant into my ongoing experience of life. And from time to time, something comes up, uh, something I've misinterpreted, something I've taken the wrong way, something I've interpreted or perceived as an assault on me, something that threatens me. And rather than recognizing this is fear and nothing else, and choosing love or choosing the miracle, the ego moves in and says, you must have a defense. And that thought in and of itself creates an enemy to me. It makes of this person that I've perceived as hurting me or doing something that I don't like or interpreting against me or being critical of me or somehow um, offending my perception of myself rather than looking at the thought, this is something I'm doing to myself. I have a thought in my mind that's creating an enemy. My brother's not my enemy. I love my brother. That's the way God created us, one with each other, in the unity of the sonship. And if I'm seeing, if I'm perceiving this brother as other because of something I've misinterpreted, what have I done but put a thought in my mind at war with my truth? And now my peace is disturbed. And the ego response to the disruption of peace, of course, is to blame the other person, to condemn the other person. If you had not done X, I would not have been forced to respond this way. And now, what am I in my own view? And what is my brother in my own perception? If I defend myself, I am attacked. But there is no cruelty in God and none in me. Why need I defend anything? Only if I've lost access to my true self need I defend anything. Only if I've lost access to the idea, to the truth, that this brother is myself, my capital S self. Everyone is my capital S self. Everyone is part of me. But I've inserted a defense. I've thought there was something wrong with me. And now I defend myself. If I defend myself, I am attacked because I've made of my brother, myself, an enemy. Just exactly like he says in paragraph four, 
Now you have an enemy within, an alien fought at war with you, depriving you of peace and splitting your mind into two camps, which seem totally irreconcilable. See, this brother, this body that I see, this body that behaved in a way I don't like, is not the truth of my brother, nor is it the truth of me. In truth, we share this capital S self. And if I'm entertaining an idea that I have to defend myself, what I'm really doing is seeing the face of my ego in a darkened glass. I've lost access to love. I've, act I've lost access to the truth. And that's why he says in this lesson, this can be a terrible moment. This can be a terrible moment because now I see what I've done. Remember that how he said, um, when blame is withdrawn from out, from without, there's a tendency to harbor it within. Now my choice is, oh my gosh, uh, now I need to blame myself because I see what I did. I'm so sorry I did that. I could have easily said, I'm sorry. Uh, whatever, whatever you're perceiving is not the truth, and I, I made a mistake, and uh, I'm sorry. I did not want to give offense, and uh, it wasn't my intention, and I'm very sorry. I could have done that. I could easily have done that. But instead, <laughs> instead I chose to defend myself and entertain this thought that my brother's separate from me. That's why I need a holy instant. I need to return my mind to the holy instant. How many times do I need to take an atonement path to remember the truth that we share one capitalist self? It seems a lot, um, but this is the purpose of time, you know? And every time I return my mind to the truth that this brother is myself, my capitalist self, I would rather remember his love and remember my own. I would rather remember his truth and remember my own. Because that's my joy. That's my happiness. You know, he says, whenever you're not supremely happy or joyous, You've thought wrongly about some capital soul. You've thought wrongly about some capital soul that God created. So change your mind. <laughs> what have you thought that God would not have thought? Well, I know exactly what I thought. <laughs> and what have you failed to think that God would have thought this brother is my love? And change your mind to think with God. To me, that's the purpose of time. The purpose of every lesson we have. To show me my mind's errors. So I can be returned to the truth of love. I'm complete. Excellent. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori.
I wanted to share something about time. But, um, Robin Marie, I know you have to leave, so I'd love to hear you share if you would like to now. Thank you. Oh, she went to work already, Judy. So go ahead. Um, you reminded me of this in your share, Lori. It was that um, we have the means to be restored to the truth of who and what we are by um, the means of the holy instant, in any given instant, to be restored to complete sanity, to be restored to complete peace and perfect happiness, which is God's will for us as he created us. And, um, you know, this this um, idea of being in time and um, what was in the text reading today reminds me of, of some of the miracle principles in the beginning of the book where it speaks of miracles um, as a expressions of love with each other and for each other and miracles being corrections of misperceptions of which two you spoke of, Lori, um, that I can correct mine and I can correct um, my, my um, right thinking in, in seeing others as, as, as viewing themselves as something they're not and suffering because of it. Um, that miracles are for and with us in time as a means to restore us to the awareness of love's presence. Um, that it's either, I'm either making a call for help or expressing help, and that others in my perception of them are either expressing love or calling for love, which is pure perception through 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 vision or through the Holy Spirit. And, and that the other use of time is the use of the holy instant, which is always available to me immediately. The immediacy of salvation, the correction of misperception always happens in the, the eternal, omnipresent, um, holy instant, which is... Uh, which is um, restores me to the awareness of my holiness as does um, seeing others as uh, when I see them as other than myself, which is seeing things in oneness is, is um, to restore the holiness of that relationship and my awareness to the awareness of the presence of the oneness in all of us. So this is one of these all... I think the text and the lessons are really coming to this all-inclusivity and this all-encompassing and always present and always already so it is beingness of who we are and what we are all together and one because there's no togetherness in oneness. There's no unity of one and another in oneness. There is merely one. It merely is. So it becomes very, very simple. There is one and there is no other. Thank you. I'm complete. Mm, thanks, Judy.
No, there's no limit on the holy instant. Don't you just love how he starts this section off? That the holy instant, its purpose is to teach me love's meaning. And because judgment is suspended entirely, early on, I think we read last week, you cannot, you cannot give yourself your own innocence. You cannot do that. I, I need a miracle. I need a holy instant. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, all those years ago when I had that one marvelous holy incident, when I came back to my awareness of being a person, <laughs> I thought, my God in heaven, I'm the last to know. I'm the last to know that everything is one with God. Isn't that incredible? I'm the last to know. Everybody else knew it, but... It was secret to me. You know, I, really, I honest to God, I was, I was so disoriented. Oh, I thought I was the last to know, and now everybody's going around like they're shining in the sun. <laughs> um, and that's the truth of us. But then that was, that was um, more than 30 years ago. And here I still am. <laughs> And here I still am resolving my problem with special relationships. You know, he says um, it's the destiny of all relationships to become holy. That's that's a quote. It is the destiny of all relationships to become holy. And if I accept that fact, and I do, I absolutely do. Um then I have some wrinkles to, to iron out of my own experience. And um, every, every forgiveness and consequent miracle in the intervening years has been to resolve this problem, this seeming problem I have with specialness. And, and don't you love how he says in here, uh, he says it, Everyone makes special relationships. I forget which paragraph it was in. Had it a minute ago. Everyone on earth, in paragraph 52. Yeah. Everyone on earth has formed special relationships. And although this is not so in heaven, the Holy Spirit knows how to bring a touch of heaven to them here. In the holy instant, no one is special. And that was true. But in the intervening years, you know, I run into somebody that uh, offends my sense of myself. <laughs> and what's my, what's, what is this for? What is this? But a lesson God would have me learn. All things are lessons God would have me learn. And the lesson is, if I forgive, if I return my mind to its original state 
That's the purpose of the holy instant, to return my mind to its original state where the truth of atonement shines in it that horizontally and vertically I am one with all creation. That's the purpose of the holy, holy instant, to teach me love's meaning horizontally and vertically I'm one with creation and every time I run into this sense of offense offending my sense of specialness what am I running into but an opportunity to release something in my own mind that I thought was true that I needed a defense how many times lots of times seven times 70 he said you know uh, and he also says in this work that forgiveness is for the mind that offers it until it sees itself as needing it no more I see myself as needing it no more when I've accepted atonement for myself horizontal and vertical oneness and so here we trod this path here I trod this path from holy instant to whatever's going on with me now and over and over and over again I need to remember the truth and it turns out that every time I remember the truth my brother remembers truth with me you know what is what is a miracle he says but two minds experience their oneness and are glad and so I've learned over time to recognize the symptoms of this thing uh, the symptoms of this problem are and I was thinking about that Saturday I thought, wow this is really true it's always true there's this accumulation of energy something I don't understand and my choice in this accumulation of energy is to choose specialness or truth and when I choose truth the energy changes itself to an energy of oneness and love but if I choose the error or the specialness there I am with that thought at war with my own mind and so this energy that's accumulating in this situation whatever the situation is is a call to me to choose a miracle and when I choose a miracle the problem's gone it's just gone because it wasn't real in the first place if I choose against the miracle or withhold my forgiveness from my own mind or my brother uh, I will be left with this thought at war with myself and the ego will take that thought and do something with it that's going to hurt me I defend I attack I believe I'm under attack all of that stuff isn't true um, so when this energy comes up I'm reminded I need to choose a miracle and I do it by saying I don't know the instant I think I do know what this means I've used my past learning to judge and uh, that will always hurt me and so um, I, I think what I wanted to say is that the holy instant is a, is an experience 
that teaches me what every moment can be. Life is what happens as I remember over and over and over again the truth of that instant where I knew love's meaning. And um, and that's how we serve each other. You see, um, we no one, how does he say? He says it like this. To experience yourself alone, in paragraph 46, to experience yourself alone is to deny the oneness of the Father and His Son and thus to attack reality. And if my goal is heaven, which it is, because I remember heaven is a decision I must make, then truth calls upon me to make different choices about specialness and about truth. And it's the living of that choice over time that restores my mind to heaven and helps me recognize the inclusiveness of it all. That no one, no one, no one can be left out. If one mind were left out, it would not be heaven. And so by this choosing over and over and over again, we serve each other on our way to heaven. And that's a beautiful thing. I can welcome that, and I'm complete. Thank you. It's like the Holy Spirit knows that we still, quote, remember the past, unquote. So if I may paraphrase a little bit of what you said, Laurie, to some extent, um, if I have enough nows, nows, you know, to that are good because I'm remembering the things I read that are the truth and enacting them in my life, um, then I start to remember a past that's good, relatively good. So life just plain feels better, and I change for the better, and that helps everybody because I am one with everybody, and uh, it's all good. <laughs> I hope I did it justice. Thank you. Yes, you did, Ida. Thank you. Oh, I would love to share again, but I'd like to hear others share first. I'll wait until after call.
Anyone we haven't heard from that would like to share this morning? Good morning, Lori. You read my mind. It's Mindy. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. I'm I'm hearkening back to the lesson. Um, you know, this reminds me of um, you know, if I defend myself, I am attacked, and those other two uh, lessons. Um, um, the only thing that would make me attacked would be a cruelty towards myself, which would arise from guilt. Um, and cruelty towards someone else because I feel that they have attacked me. Um, and I noticed when someone didn't do what I requested after I gave to them something that they needed, I was mad and um, you know, I attacked this person by making him wrong and judging him and wanting to tell him all the characteristics and traits that he had and all the things that he did that made it very challenging to work with him and that would be very cool. And yesterday I said, hmm, if it were me and I needed to get some instruction from my boss, this was a homeless guy that I was having help me, a young a young young man with some obvious mental and physical and not mental but mental and emotional challenges you might say if you looked at it from a worldly view, but I know he's a whole and complete person and he's also a lot like a monk, traveling monk. <laughs> but to get to the point, um, and I, I don't need to attack this person. Maybe if I share with him my observations about this behavior that made it unworkable for me to work with him and for him to lose out on an opportunity to make money, that would be a good thing. So how can I say this lovingly? If it were me, how would I want to hear this? And boy, it just shifted everything from me versus him and wanting to, to prove that he was bad and wrong and don't ever do that again to, huh, um, number one, how can I make this easier? And then I realized, number two, that there was actually no reason to even correct him. Um, I had a heck of a time getting people over here to help me clear and reorganize my basement. So I would have space to pull things out and pile a couple places for the garage sale stuff, community garage sale stuff, and also I needed people to help me get it up the stairs, help me pack the car, maybe even unpack it. Nobody showed up. <laughs> it's like no one showed up. And here I am at 2 in the morning having wrenched my back the day before, going, how the heck am I ever going to get this stuff over there, into the car, up the stairs, etc. And my intuition came that I wasn't that I should do readings instead. And it was a very strong voice. And I did find out later that there was a table space inside. I didn't know there was an inside. And it would have been perfect for me because of people not really doing garage sale stuff but selling incense and flowers. And my intuition, when I finally said, why isn't this working? And I let go of any blame. What's going on? I was given some clear guidance. So... These people not showing up <laughs> was trying to point out what I was supposed to be doing. So there was actually no wrongdoing. There was no harm. There was no nothing. Um, <laughs> and I realized that I still have to suck that my brothers are out for themselves, not for me, that life is out to get me, you know, that victim consciousness that we have. I was like, God, I really got to let go of that perspective when things happen not according to my plan. 
it would have been so great had I had I realized that sooner by letting go of my resistance, you know, my victimhood, I would have realized it sooner and I would have gotten a booth together just to do readings. And um, <laughs> it was like, you know, when I assign judgment to someone else, um, that's being cruel. That's being cruel. That's making someone into something that they're not. So it was quite the experience and I'm glad this lesson is following and I'm complete. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mindy. I'm glad you um, described how that shifted for you. Thank you. Yeah, and and also too, it's a beautiful opportunity for forgiveness for myself because I heard that voice so clearly, but I still was stubborn and decided to put things in my car because I didn't realize that there would be a perfectly appropriate space for me not to do garage sale items and just to set up my my beautiful booth with all my signs and flowers and things. And so I had an opportunity to forgive myself also because I judged that the leader of this at the senior center would be upset with me if I came and did readings at a garage sale. And it turns out it would have been more appropriate than what I brought. And so I also had an opportunity to once again affirm that one, not to listen to my mind with all of its stories, but to go to my heart and my body. My body and my heart were telling me, do this. And I also would have put together a whole bunch of cute little flower pots that I could have sold and um, left the rest of the stuff at home. And it probably would have been really cool, but it was such a good lesson. And um, I will say this too, um, but it was our thing about you know God's grace is mine, I claim it now. Um, my guy didn't show up to help me unpack or pack up at night and it was blazing sun and I didn't know how I was going to get this 200, 300 pounds worth of stuff back into my car. Two ladies showed up, came up to me. I was the only vendor left. Everyone else had cleared out. Maybe a couple folks who were cleaning up might have helped me, but they came up to me and said, I'm sorry we're late. And I went, what were you? She said, we came from Detroit. We couldn't get here in time, but I'm sorry we're late. Is there anything we can do for you? Two ladies appeared out of nowhere and helped me put my car up together. Now, was that grace or was that not grace? And um, I, one of them was just the most loveliest lady, and the other one was her sister who used to work at that senior center. I said to her, you are my earth angel. And she said, I've been told that before. And I believe now I, she wanted my card. She didn't know what I did, but she said, I'd like your card. I want to get together with you. And I believe she was sorry she was late because I did set up a little table saying I do readings. And I did give a few cards away, but I know I would have done readings if I'd been inside. But we have each other's number, and I'm hoping to do a reading for her and her sister. But that day, the even though I didn't practice it very much about, you know, God's grace is mine, I claim it now, my intention to practice absolutely worked. I had help all day long. And it was lovely to meet all these people. And without even affirming it all day long, these two ladies came out of nowhere and came to me as if they had an appointment with me. And they were about 15 minutes late. <laughs> Sorry, we're late. And helped me out. And we just had the most beautiful time. And, you know, all it takes is surrender and forgiveness. And your famous, I don't know. <laughs> and I stopped to ask, gosh, I don't know why people aren't showing up. What's going on here? 
um, you know, so it was a really beautiful illustration of of the process of how valuable it is to not attack when things don't go my way, but to realize that if they're not going my my way, there's some good that I'm not seeing, and all I have to do is say, you know, I surrender this, and I don't know. Um, Holy Spirit, make decisions through me. So huge learning experience and thank you again I, I just was so amazed that these two people came but then when I looked at the lesson again I said <gasps> so even though I didn't practice it much consciously it was still working I'm complete and, and that's just a, so encouraging I'm complete thank you Mindy thank you very much It's time to end the recording, um, but as you know, we all stay on to continue to talk about these things. And uh, you pointed me, Mindy, to um, to I think an important place to let, to end the recording. It's from Chapter 14 in the Test of Truth. And it applies to there is no cruelty in God and none in me. He says, the absence of perfect peace means but one thing. You think, you think you do not will for God's Son what his Father wills for him. Every dark lesson teaches this in one form or another. And every bright lesson with which the Holy Spirit will replace the dark ones you do not accept and hide teaches that you do will with the Father unto his Son. Be not concerned with how you can learn a lesson so completely different from everything you've taught yourselves. How would you know? Your part is very simple. You need only recognize that everything you learned, you do not want. Everything you learned, you do not want. Has to be taught. And do not use your experiences to confirm what you have learned. When your peace is threatened or disturbed in any way, say to yourself, I do not know what anything, including this, means. So I do not know how to respond to it, and I will not use my own past learning as a light to guide me now. By this refusal to attempt to teach yourself what you do not know, the guide whom God has given you will speak to you. He will take his rightful place in your awareness the instant you abandon it and offer it to him. You can't be your guide to miracles for it is you who made them necessary. Because you did, the means on which you can depend for miracles has been provided for you. God's son can make no needs his father will not meet if he but turn to him ever so little. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. That was perfect. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Chapter 14. All right. Peace, peace, peace. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, everyone.